yeah, I think the creatures like the mermaid and other supernatural forces, whether it's um, a, a mythical creature, whether it's a, a religious figure. I mean, saints are very similar in this respect, aren't they? That people mm. will turn to relics of saints yeah. in Roman um, Catholicism to to try and help them in times of need so it's it's an idea of something invisible something unseen to fight something else unseen and um, something beyond the concrete world that might just make a magical kind of difference yeah. some supernatural intervention it's the mermaid podcast we've got mermaids on the land and down below legs or fins you will love our show all the news that makes a splash is on the mermaid podcast hello you're listening to the mermaid podcast and i'm your host laura von holt the fairy boss mother of cinderly hi mer friends hello okay some real talk how are you how are you doing sweetheart i am worried (laughs) um at the moment that i am recording this we as in our planet (laughs) um our world we are in the midst of some wild global times there is a pandemic uh i personally am in new york city i am safe there is um There's a lot going on here, but I am safe, I am staying home, I am washing my hands, I am trying to stay healthy, and I'm trying to keep my community healthy. And I hope that you are healthy and well and that you stay that way. So even though it's wild out there and very uncertain, please know that I am thinking about you and I'm keeping all of my listeners in my heart and I also want to say a very big thank you to all of the essential workers everywhere, to all of the healthcare workers and food producers and grocery store workers and uh, everyone who is working to keep everything going so that we can all get through this. Thank you. Thank you so, so very much. Um, And then for a little switch, uh, some good news is uh, I have a little bit of business here from one of our advertisers. Yay, we love our advertisers. So I want to bring you something that will give you some comfort and some joy in this time. And so I want to tell you about a new romance novel. You know I love them. Uh, The one I want to tell you about is called The Bachelor, and it is book two in the Duke Dynasty series by Sabrina Jeffries. Here's like the official blurb, and I feel really official to tell you that from one of the biggest names in historical romance, New York Times bestselling author Sabrina Jeffries comes the second in a sparkling series about an oft-widowed mother's grown children who blaze through society in their quest for the truth about their fathers. In the process, they may just find that love can conquer all, even for a headstrong young lady with a scandalous secret to hide. All right, you guys know I love this stuff. This is I'm so into this. Okay, so. I've seen the description of this book, and I've seen the cover, and some things to note are that The Bachelor is a historical romance, which is definitely a comfort subgenre for me. This is the kind of book I absolutely read um, when everything else is a mess. Um, Also, the book features a bodyguard trope, so the hero has to keep the heroine safe from a blackmailing scoundrel while she makes her London debut in society. 
Also on the cover, the heroine is holding a crossbow uh, or a bow and arrow. So we're definitely going to get ball gowns, London Society, a crossbow, and a bodyguard who is torn between duty and passion. Right? So, so good. Again, the book is called The Bachelor. It is by Sabrina Jeffries. She's a great author. I have definitely read a lot of her stuff. Please check it out and support our advertisers. And now, in today's episode, I'm speaking again with one of my favorite mermaid experts, historian Sarah Pepperly. We had Sarah on the podcast a few years ago for an episode called Mermaid Through the Ages, which is actually one of our most popular episodes. It's in our top five of the most downloads. Um, it's a great episode. And I asked Sarah to come back on the podcast because I wanted to know about what connections mermaids have had to times of widespread human illness. Um, are they protectors of our health? Are they prophets foretelling hard times? What's the deal? I wanted to know... How have mermaids protected us or given us comfort during past epidemics? And as always, Sarah did not disappoint. So please enjoy this interview and be well. Yeah, I'm Professor Sarah Peverly from the University of Liverpool in the UK. And I've been writing a book about, well, two books about mermaids for several years now. <laughs> um, they will be out soon, I promise. Um, well, so people who've been listening to the podcast might remember that I had you on um, maybe almost two years ago now. Um, and it's one of my favorite interviews um, because we covered, I think, almost the entire history of well, since like Romanish times <laughs> to to the present, we did a lot. <laughs> we did a lot. We covered a, a, like a lot of time, um, and I learned so many things that I now just tell people at parties. Um, so it's like it's one of my new party tricks is to be like I can relate mermaids to anything um, now that I've had this interview. Um, and I was telling you before we started recording, one of my new favorite games to play is Six Degrees of Mermaids, where I start with mermaids and I know I can get to any other topic <laughs> in the world. Sure, and, and so we. We are right now in another interesting moment in history in the middle of a global pandemic. And um, I was like, well, my role in this is probably to bring mermaids into it. So I thought, who would know if there's any connection between mermaids and epidemics and health? And I was like, Sarah will definitely know. Uh, so I was very happy that you were available. And what I'm hoping today is that you can just tell us, you know, so much mermaid lore um, and mermaid history. And so anything that you can tell us about any mermaids anywhere in the world that are related to um, illness or disease or stories of them helping with disease, uh, I would be thrilled to know. Um, and I think it would be a, a f like a fun message for our times <laughs> to think sure. a little bit differently about it. So what can you tell us about mermaids and, and human epidemics? Well, um, if we go back to the 19th century in Japan, um, we find some really interesting creatures that can be put in the same category as mermaids. So in the Japanese um, folklore tradition, there are heaps and heaps of spirits, some wonderful quirky creatures that do all kinds of things. Some of them are good and some of them are bad. And one of those yokai or spirits is known as the amabi or the amabie, depending on how you pronounce it. I'd probably need a Japanese expert to tell me which way is right. Yeah. But I'm going to go with my anglicized version of it, which is amabi. 
Um, and this creature supposedly appeared in 1846 in um, Ku, uh, Ku, Kumamoto Pro Prefecture, uh, the, the equivalent area to what that is today. And it was, um, it, it was first kind of heralded by a great shining light. And this drew one of the officials from the area towards where this shining light was. And it was shining offshore in the ocean. And when the official got there, he saw this really bizarre creature. So it, it's an ocean creature. It has very, very long hair. It has a human-like face, but with a beak. Oh, so it's kind of like a birdie uh, type. Oh, okay. Thing. You weren't expecting <laughs> no, that. No, that was a surprise. <laughs> and it has three legs or tail-like protrusions. And this creature spoke to this official, allegedly, and um, explained that it was a creature from the sea and that it had the ability to foresee the future. And it predicted a beautiful harvest, a wonderful harvest, but then it dropped the bombshell that there's also going to be uh, an epidemic. Um, and it said, but don't worry, if you draw my picture, my image will protect anybody who sees it from the oncoming uh, epidemic. So, of course, this image got copied. Um, it got shown around. Um, it was printed in a, a, a set of prints that circulated widely. Um, and it was used for protection, like a talisman to protect people from, um, from the disease that was spreading. Was there, was there actually a disease spreading at the, at the time? Yeah. Okay. So what's interesting is that when these creatures occur, so, so that's, that's the one known reference mm. to an amabi, but, okay. but we think that the amabi is a version of another yokai called an amabiko. Um, and the amabiko appears in uh, about 30 years later, regularly throughout the 1870s and also into the 1880s. I think the last time one supposedly spotted is 1881. And these are very similar to the Amabi. So they've got three legs, mostly. Some of them have four, but three legs generally. Um, they've got the strange beak-like nose, but some of them look like monkey creatures as well. But they've always got this really long mop of hair. Um, and again, they say the same things. There's going to be a, a good harvest and there's going to be an epidemic. Draw my picture and this will protect you from it. So we think that the, the two are the same creature, just given slightly different names. And these, interestingly, they always crop up in the summer months when disease was more likely to spread. Mm. And they crop up at times when there are severe epidemics of things like cholera, which is really interesting because people were frightened of that, just as they are of COVID-19 now. And it's spread unseen um, through vast swathes of the population. So people were looking for anything they could find to protect them in yeah. whatever way they could. And these, these yokai images became ways of protecting as talismans. So there's a whole okay. kind of connection there with people looking for solutions to sickness and and trying to understand something that they didn't understand if yeah. that makes sense yeah yeah uh, and so you were telling me that this is kind of still continuing today yes yeah. it is so um japanese artists uh -huh. revived this as a thing for covid19 and if you go on uh, social media like twitter and instagram and mm -hmm. search for the amabi which okay. is a m 
A B I E, uh-huh. you'll see hundreds of pictures, thousands of pictures of artists from across the world now drawing these creatures to revive it for its protective uh-huh. nature, which I think is lovely. You know, uh, no, that's amazing. I was just thinking I need to draw one. <laughs> you do <laughs> need to draw one. <laughs> I'm definitely going to find it and I'll be sharing some on our social media. And if anybody out there draws their own, um, tag the Mermaid Podcast and, <laughs> and I would love to see that. Yeah. Uh, no, that's, that's kind of lovely. I love to see... Um, I mean, it's hope. It's hopeful, and I love to see that it's like a revived tradition. That's beautiful. Um, that makes me think. I think you have a few more things to tell me, but that makes me think. There's something about the um, dual nature of mermaids that we talked a lot about in our first interview. But this this idea of like I can bring you a lot of abundance, but there also might be like a slight turn to that. Right? Yeah. Right. I can give you good news. Yes. And I can give you bad, bad news. news. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a sure. It's definitely yeah. a tradition in any like mermaid story that there's a catch. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we can actually tie, I mean, the, the Amaby is the most current and topical mm. example of a sort of mare creature, mm. but we can actually, if we go back further to when cholera first hits Japan, we can actually tie the dried mermaids, you know, the Fiji yes. style mermaids, uh-huh with the kind of uh, same qualities because they were traditionally linked with um, healing properties. So things like giving you long life and um, mermaid oil and mermaid flesh particularly were meant to help with this. Uh So there's there's stories in Japanese folklore of people eating mermaid flesh and getting a naturally long life. Um, one in particular was a, a nun who lived for 800 years, apparently. Oh. So she, she didn't do too badly out of mermaids. I want to know what her source uh, has, is. Like, how did she get all this mermaid oil? <laughs> well, she, she first crops up in the 15th century, actually, okay. but her story gets circulated more widely a few hundred years later, okay. and, and it's twisted a bit, and, and, and things are added on to it. But she, she actually has a very tragic tale, because although she lives 800 years, everyone she loves dies, oh. because they don't live 800 years. So she lives a very solitary, isolated existence, which I'm sure we can all relate to right now, being in isolation. Um, And she has a tragic death. And, um, yeah, so hers is not a very very happy tale either. Uh, It's it's more of a warning against the perils of of disconnection Mm -hmm. from fellow people that you love, really. Um, but there's there's a wonderful story from 1819 of a Japanese fisherman pulling out supposedly one of these ninyo, the Japanese mermaids, uh-huh. um, and he, he supposedly dries it and displays it for money to people because, again, it does the same thing as the amabi. It, prof- it prof- um, prophesizes um, a, a plague coming yeah. and that if you have its image, it will protect you from it. So this fisherman who supposedly caught it, obviously yeah. it's a load of rubbish he made he he made it or acquired it in some way um he made a lot of money out of this and when people stopped coming to see it he started selling pictures of it as well oh wow you could could also get your equivalent of the postcard to say that you've seen it and carry some of that protection um and we we do see a crossover between a lot of western law as well with these these uh japanese yokai and and the qualities associated with them because the period that they become very popular in Japan mm. in sort of from the 17th to the mid 19th mm. century uh, is the time when there's some exchange of ideas between uh, the West mm. and some of the Japanese scholars. Um, 
So some of the ideas that are in Western mermaid law start transferring to the the Japanese culture. Um, A a good example is the, the Portuguese and the Dutch. So they think that mermaid bones are useful for their healing properties. Okay. Um, the Portuguese have the, the most amusing and painful sounding prospect to do with uh, mermaid bones. So they believed that they were a great cure for hemorrhoids. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, I don't quite know how you do yeah, it. Um, me neither, instructions but... are not necessarily that clear, but um, you, 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 stick the equivalent of the mermaid bone up your bum oh, and um, hope for the best i think um yeah also, again the... where are they acquiring the mermaid bones <laughs> oh this is interesting i mean i i think what they they are referring to are creatures like manatees okay. quite honestly um in a lot of the early portuguese sources the manatees have the name um that connects them most frequently with mermaids so i think these are sea creatures uh, not necessarily even the kind that exists today because a lot of um, manatee type creatures and sea cows have um, have now become extinct. So, for example, the, there are some like the Stella's sea cow that we don't have anymore. Uh, so I think I think probably for the po- Portuguese, because they were trading a lot, it's probably going to be something like the West African manatee or the equivalent. Um, so, yeah, probably manatee bones, but they called them mermaid bones. Got it, okay. Yeah, but there are some other nice examples as well, as well of mermaids being used in Western mm. cultures to heal. Yeah. Uh, There's a physician in the, I think it's the 18th century in England, and he makes elixirs, so medicines for ailments, uh-huh. and one of those is said to have mermaid tongue in it. Ooh, ooh. So the mermaid and nice little connection with the mermaid there. yeah there you go oh you're right yeah, <laughs> mermaid to heal you. ursula um, was just peddling cures <laughs> yeah yeah i think he was a bit of a quack to be yeah. honest and then and then one of my favorites actually um is a story from scotland uh, apparently uh, there was a funeral processing past the river clyde mm-hmm. And the mermaid that was resident in the river rose up to address the mourners as they passed. Mm. And um, she said that the girl had died from tuberculosis, Mm. but that could have been cured by mugwort. (gasps) So she was kind of doing a sort of mermaid doctor service there of (laughs) identifying the ailment. So it was like like a mermaid ghost kind of that rose out and was like, you should have taken mugwort. (laughs) No, 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 an actual mermaid. Oh, an actual mermaid. A real one, well, supposedly, um, uh, that rose out of the river and said, this girl has died because of this ailment and she should have had mugwort. If any of you, if anybody else gets it, take mugwort. It will save you. So, yeah, there's there's lots of wonderful little examples like that, but quite often we don't have the bigger stories behind them. So there's not much more we can say about them in terms of, knowing whether this was a widespread belief or just, you know, a one-off doctor in the 18th century trying to peddle a medicine with mermaid tongue in it, for example. Right. It's, it's a bit like unicorn horn, you know, you're not yeah. quite sure. Um, yeah. I, when you were saying that, I was thinking about, like, something as I had read about, like, unicorn horn making you more virile or, or curing things and all of those stories. Yeah. 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 My, my son, who's eight, he had a project at school a few weeks ago before they all shut down. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things he had to do was look at 
plague medicines oh. and cures. And when and I downloaded a copy of an old 17th century plague manual for oh. him. And I was going through it, reading bits to him so he could understand it. Yeah. And one, a few of the recipes in that had things like unicorn horn in them. And it's like, yeah. well, if your average person is trying to make this medicine, yes. it's not <laughs> very helpful. You? Exactly. Um, yeah. That no, that's all interesting. It makes me think of what kind of. Um, things what what kind of things surround times of um epidemics and disease um like there's you, you know people are looking for something to hold on to because illness is so unknown and affects all of us and so it would make sense that like if you had even an inkling of an idea that a mermaid creature would help you you would draw their picture or take some bug water or everything it makes yeah. me wonder what will come out of the time that we're in now um it reminds me a little bit of like i love essential oils but and i've been like slathering myself with them whether or not <laughs> like they're going to actually help me avoid illness it's it just makes me feel better and like having some sort of legend around it makes it feel like oh it might be this is an ancient thing this might this might work <laughs> you know might work yeah people cling on to what they can and that's a very yeah. human thing to do yeah. and like all mythical creatures throughout time and throughout the continents across the world yeah this has been a consistent thing that humans will always turn to the unknown and the unseen yeah. for help with things that they can't understand or can't control. And this is why religion is, is still such a prominent driving force in our world as well. People want something, they want to look for something tangible in an intangible environment. So yeah. you can't touch or see or necessarily, you know, taste uh, an illness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the creatures like the mermaid and other supernatural forces, whether it's um, a, a mythical creature, whether it's a, a religious figure. I mean, saints are very similar in this respect, aren't they? That people mm. will turn to relics of saints yeah. in Roman um, Catholicism to to try and help them in times of need. So it's it's an idea of something invisible, something unseen to fight something else unseen. Um, something beyond the concrete world that might just make a magical kind of difference, yeah. some supernatural intervention. Because in the past, through throughout history, disease has often been associated with punishment for something. Mm-hmm. So angry gods condemning a people to a plague mm-hmm. or... Uh, in the same way that they might send a tsunami or bad mm-hmm. bad flooding. Um, so human understanding of how the unseen world works is is often sometimes all that early civilizations in particular have to try and understand what's going on around them. And I think even today, it's very difficult to feel so helpless mm-hmm. about something. I mean, many people across the world right now are sat in isolation in their own homes, mm-hmm. hoping that they haven't got COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of drawing creatures that can protect you, it's its not only a bit of fun at the minute, yeah. it's its an expression of human hope mm-hmm. and it's that human hope that that spanned the centuries that that's one of our lovely features as human beings that there's always some light at the end of a tunnel and and i think the the revival of drawing things like the amabies and just generally the connections that people feel with supernatural creatures yeah. whether it's a mermaid or a unicorn it gives you a little happy 
place doesn't it to yeah. go to you know a world where things like that might just exist yeah, or could work. exist yeah. in your imagination that we can also use that imagination to imagine a better future and and hope at the end of a bad period in yeah. world history yeah. yeah that's also making me think you're talking about things that are unseen and and humans wanting to go to the supernaturally unseen and even though we're living in a time where we have so much more science and so much understanding the germs that we are hiding from are also unseen so if it does almost feel like a supernatural force especially because it has affected and will affect the whole planet and it's sent you know people all over the world into isolation um it's it's affecting governments and um cultures and society um all across the planet and so it's almost like even though we have the science to know about the germs that are affecting us it still feels like an unseen force or punishment so it's natural that we would then turn to like an unseen guide or an unseen source of help um to try to help mm. to help protect us and uh- and also, I mean, that kind of thing taps into a bigger um, issue about why um, fantastic and imaginary creatures have remained so popular throughout human history because you don't necessarily see need to see something to either know it's there or believe it might be there uh-huh. and this is part of the thing of mermaids isn't it yeah. that they live so deep down in the ocean in our imagination yeah. that it's not too big a step to say well if i can imagine a creature living in the ocean what if i'm not saying mermaids exist obviously they don't um well they they don't to me and with my cultural background there are many people in the world who still do believe that they are a real um supernatural force i mean you just have to look at the australian aborigines to to know that but for for me personally the the mermaids are not a real thing but it's it's that imaginative power of them it's their ability to to connect us with the things that we can't see and yeah. to know that they are they they that it's those unseen things that start in the imagination that sometimes can be real things right um, right yeah, does, i mean i don't know if that makes no, sense. That, 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 no that makes absolute well, sense to me i was just i was just gonna say right like i can't see the virus that might spread if i cough near someone but i believe that it's there and i see effect that it's having so it almost makes me easier for me to believe in a mermaid because i can't see it but i can like maybe feel an effect when i believe in it or i hold a talisman of it and that makes me that comforts me and that comfort feels just as real as my fear of this unknown transmission and this unseen transmission um, for sure yeah. you don't you don't need to believe in mermaids or see them as a a, a real thing at all to yeah. to get comfort from the the joy that they bring people right. i mean the joy that mermaid dolls and unicorns bring to children every day is, yeah. is another tangible thing that that comes from these imaginary creatures yeah. so yeah it also makes me think of the placebo effect um that you know, people have been given one drug that works and one that doesn't, and the people who who just believe that it would work had almost the same effect. So, um, mm. if you're, you know, if holding a mermaid thing helps you stay inside and wash your hands, then like, <laughs> do it. Then do exactly. it. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. It goes back to that human, um, that human need for hope, right. and if if something unseen and slightly magical can bring that hope then that's the most important thing whether it's real or not is is doesn't matter does it it's it's that idea of hope and i think that's how the the 
the first creatures we started talking about function that they bring hope in a time of desperation and so it's it's nice that they've been revived now 200 years or yeah. so later yeah. um they're, they're still fulfilling their function and who knows they may just work yeah they may <laughs> and this all this also feels comforting to me um to realize that uh disease and illness is part of the human experience and we have had periods of it that have been tragic and hard and and decimating um but the human race has survived and has persevered and we've gone on um and you know this disease is here now and a disease like will come again um but the the trajectory of the human experience is that we survive it yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and the innovations that come from that as mm-hmm. well. So not just the imagining mythical creatures, but I mean, think how this is going to change the world mm-hmm. in, in new and wonderful ways. It's also going to change it in some very horrific ways. Mm-hmm. People are going to lose jobs and loved ones and, and all kinds of awful, awful, unthinkable things uh, are going to occur over the next few months if they haven't already mm-hmm. in, to some people. But that human spirit, that that idea of picking up the pieces afterwards and moving on is something that that's as timeless as the stories about mermaids and dragons and witches and wizards and and all the rest of those wonderful things that come from our imaginations. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that's that's a wonderful place to end. We've given the people some mermaids and some hope. Um, Sarah, do you want to plug anything? I know you have an upcoming book and a website and stuff. Do you want to tell people where they can find you and follow you? Um, so I have my own website, sarahpeverly.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter, Sarah underscore Peverly. Um, you can also find me via my University of Liverpool staff page in the English department too. Um, book will be out next year in 2021. Yay! Or at least one of them will be. Um, and also soon, um, I need to do some final proofreading of it, but um, The Mermaid Map, which you very kindly <gasps> oh, yes! used and tested for I me. loved it. Um, tell people a little bit about that because it was really fun. Yeah, okay, so I've I've been working for, oh goodness, the last eight years on and off on a mermaid map, uh, tracking um, all the examples of mermaid iconography that exist in the British Isles and Ireland um, from the Middle Ages. So uh, there are some other layers to the map as well. So I've got a series of all the sightings that have been recorded over the centuries. Um, and there, there are also some, uh, there's a layer that's going to be folklore, which I'll add on at a slightly later date so mapping all the instances of British and Irish folklore um, concerning mermaids but the map of the iconography will be the first part of the launch and essentially you just it's it's on a google map platform you just click on it it will pop up lots of information about the place where a mermaid is and there'll sometimes be a little image of it as well and you can make up your own mermaid trails from it which you did <laughs> yeah um yeah i was in um, to England. yes i was in the uk and i had emailed sarah and she gave me a list of things for the area i was in and one day i was in oxford um with some friends and then some friends who live there and we and i was like i have these things to hit and, and everyone said okay let's go um and some of the things were closed but we did end up in one church and we were found i forget what the name of it is but it, it was a mermaid that's up on a ceiling it was all saints all, all saints yes yeah. yeah and um, um the beautiful part about that is that we found the church and then there was a concert 
happening yes. inside. So they were playing this beautiful music, and we were sneaking around the back, like staring at the ceiling. And everyone's like, "What are these crazy Americans doing?" <laughs> you know? um, but it was. I remember you posting the yeah. video on Instagram, and it was like there was a soundtrack to your life. Yes, by this it was orchestra. very epic and cinematic. Um, it's still in the highlights on our Mermaid Podcast Instagram. If anybody wants to look, but but yeah, it was a really fun game, and it's 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 my ideal travel experience because every time I go somewhere, I'm googling what the mermaids might be and and where i might cool. find them so um so i your mermaid map will i i think people will love it i will love it i'm as biggest fan <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna try and get it made into an app eventually yeah. if i can but um obviously that needs funding and stuff yeah. so uh, that's something for me to think about in the future but yeah it's going to be a free online resource and people will yeah. be able to use that so if we're all stuck inside still from covid19 well, we can virtually visit these places i'm just gonna put this out there that if there are any mermaid fans who are coders and want to help with a mermaid <laughs> map app i'm sure sarah could talk to you or if any of the uh, University of Liverpool students need extra credit. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, like well, that would be my time, first call, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah, I'm going to wait till the book is 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 out first. Fair. I think then I'll tackle that because that will be a whole heap of extra work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, longer term. That's what I'd like to do with it, so people can have it more easily on their phones as yeah. well. So yeah, okay. awesome. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on, Sarah. And I will put all of these links in the show notes um, so everybody can find them. They'll be at mermaidpodcast.com. And uh, I hope that you stay healthy. <laughs> Yes, I will send you an Amabi to help you stay helpful, <laughs> you. healthy, and helpful <laughs> to, to listeners. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on again. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please tell a friend or leave a review. Reviews are really important because they help other mermaid lovers find us. The easiest way to leave a review is right in the app that you are using to listen to this episode or leave a review on our Facebook page. If you'd like to stay in touch with us, the best thing to do is sign up for our email list. We only send you emails that you like about new episodes and you will get exclusive behind-the-scenes content content that you won't see anywhere else. Join the email list by dropping your email address into the sign-up form, which you can find in any of the episode show notes at mermaidpodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. We are at Mermaid Podcast, and we always love to see you on social media. Again, we'll have links to all of the mermaid news mentioned in this episode on our website, mermaidpodcast.com. Our jingle was recorded by Tori Scott, the world-famous cabaret singer. You can find Tori at itstoriescott.com and the Mermaid Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts that you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thank you for listening and remember, don't quit your daydream. It's the Mermaid Podcast. We've got mermaids on the land and down below. Legs or fins, you will love our show. All the news that makes a splash is on the Mermaid Podcast.